Great. Wow. It's good to be with you all. I don't always get to Norwalk, so it's nice to be here to look at the Bible with you, which we're going to do in just a few moments. Uh, this morning, I was up early in my house preparing some things, and I heard music. And I'll tell you what the music I heard. It was from across the street. Our neighbors across the street decided to put up lights, and with the light motion comes music. And they're, they're Christmas carols. Morning, afternoon, night, and after midnight, through the whole night, it's music. It's really great. <laughs> I'm really in the mood this morning. Actually, I do love Christmas carols. We've all grown up with those and hearing them one place or another. And uh, I put some on the screen, some of my favorites on the screen, and maybe you share some of the favorites. It came upon a midnight clear. You can hear it in your head, can't you? Or maybe hum it as I hark the herald angels sing. Kids wonder, who is Harold the angel? Joy to the world. Oh, come all ye faithful. We just sang that. While shepherds watch their flocks. How about away in a manger? Silent night, maybe the most famous. Oh, holy night, the one with the song, the, the note that nobody can hit, or I can't anyways. And oh, little town of Bethlehem. I, I love all of those songs, and maybe you do as well. There's others, of course. But the reason I put these on the screen is because these all share something in common. They have a mix of the different words that represent that our, 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 our different candles represent. Hope, peace, joy, and love. What if, what if we all had more hope? What if we all had more peace? What if we all had more joy? What about love? Wow. So we've already lit the hope candle, so we're going to focus on hope this morning, and then next week we'll talk about peace, and then joy, and then love. On the screen, I'll put a couple of the songs we just mentioned and some of the lyrics. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morning. You know that? But there's our word, hope. Here's another one. Oh, little town of Bethlehem, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. Hope. Why talk about hope? Um, because we need it. I mean, have you read the newspaper? Have you watched the news? Have you thought about what's going around, going on around the globe or maybe even in your own life? It's easy to fall into despair and hopelessness. Why light a candle on hope? And why, why sing songs that deal with hope? In a way, it's not just about hope. It is hope in God. And hopefully as a result of today, just a little bit, you can walk away with a sense of it's foolish to pin our hopes on anything or anyone but God. And, and why, why talk about hope first? Why not the other ones first? I think you could make a case that without hope, it would be hard to experience the peace of God or peace with others or peace within. It'd be tough to experience joy as God intends. It'd be hard to, to think outside of ourselves and love those around us. We need hope. Here's a definition for hope. Confident expectation. Now, at this point, I was going to give you a humorous, fun illustration of the Ohio State Buckeyes, but I'm done. I don't have an illustration, so let's talk about the Browns on hope 
No, let's not do that either. Where do we begin? We all have hope, don't we? We have hope for family. We have hope for our health. We have hope for the future. We have hope for our jobs. We have hope. We understand what hope is. But what is hope? At its core, what is hope? It is, it is, it is, a, it is an outcome we long for based upon evidence we see to be true. And so we put our hope there. Christmas is about hope. It is about hope in God. Is it, about, it, is about a, uh, it is about a confident expectation of God. And in just a moment, I want to look at the Bible with you. Now, before we do that, I want to show, with you, show you a couple of books that I have in my library. One that's from years ago, and one that's more recent. If you want to take a picture of the screen, I would, I, I would, I would uh, suggest these books to you. One is by, on the right, Hope Has Its Reasons by Rebecca Manley Pippert. I remember that book moving me years ago. And then a more recent one by Tim Keller. We often reference him in this, in, in this room. Tim Keller wrote Hope in Times of Fears, The Resurrection and the Meaning of Easter. Hmm. Christmas doesn't make any sense without Easter. But we're not going to draw from these books today. I just wanted to show you these. We're going we're to draw from the Bible you know, from, from cover to cover, we could call it God's storyline. And God's storyline is all about hope and God's promises to you and me that are being fulfilled and one day will be fulfilled completely. From cover to cover, it is a book of hope, hope in God. And at different points in the book, there, there are particular passages that deal with the issue of hope. And we're going to look at one today. We're going to look at Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 through 20. When's the last time you looked at the book of Hebrews? What I'd like to do in just a moment is to read, you, read, read to you the passage and then kind of give you the, the context or the background for the passage because that's important for understanding what we read. And then draw some principles from the passage by which we can live with, hopefully, more hope. It's a, it's a bit of a complex passage in the sense that it's written to early Jewish Christians who have come out of the Jewish faith. And so they're very familiar with the Jewish scriptures. For us, it's called the Old Testament. So in the book of Hebrews, there's a lot of reference to the Old Testament. And in this passage, there's reference to it too. And I'll hopefully be able to unpack some of that for you and make sense of some of it for you as we find several principles to live by. All right? So here we go. Here's the passage we're looking at, starting in verse 13 in chapter 6. <laughs> for example, there was God's promise to Abraham. Since there was no one greater to swear by, God took an oath in his own name, saying, I will certainly bless you and I will multiply your descendants beyond number. And then Abraham waited patiently and he received what God had promised. Now when people take an oath, they call on someone greater than themselves to hold to it, hold them to it. And without any question, that oath is binding. God also bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. So God has given both his promise and his oath these two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him, to Jesus, for refuge, can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. We'll come back to that idea of an anchor in a little while. 
It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Jesus has already gone in there for us. He has become our eternal high priest in the order of Melchizedek. What a name. We'll come back to that too. There's some some complexities in this passage. I want to break it down for us. Let me start by giving you the background, the context of this this passage within the letter uh, to the Hebrews. The letter of Hebrews. So uh, um, we don't know who the author is. It might have been Paul. It might have been Barnabas. It could have been somebody else. But we do know who to whom it was written. It was written to early Jewish Christians, as I mentioned earlier. And, And they had grown up in the Jewish faith, and now they have become Jesus followers. And because they have become Jesus followers, they are paying a steep price for it. When you became a Christ follower, if you have, if you've put your faith and trust, you've become a Christian, when you did that, were you persecuted in any way? Possibly. Possibly. Has it been hard? Possibly. For them, it became incredibly hard. And as a result of the hardship in following Jesus, some of them were beginning to, as the book of Hebrews says, shrink away from God, drifting away from God, rather than leaning into God, leaning away from God, stepping away from God, and and in a sense, losing hope, losing hope in God. And this, this, uh, this expectation, this confident expectation was being replaced by hopelessness. And that concerned the author of the book of Hebrews. So, so, so really, throughout the book of Hebrews, there, there is a constant theme, and it is this. Do not give up hope. Even today, some of us in this room are facing a hardship. You're paying a price, maybe for being a Christ follower, or it's just the brokenness of this world has made life hard for you. And you're finding yourself shrinking back from God, leaning away from God, and you're losing hope. You're losing hope in God. And if that isn't happening to you today, maybe it was yesterday, or maybe it's coming up. And so the the author of the book of Hebrews is writing to these struggling Jewish Christians, but this book is also meant for you and for me. What I want to give to you are three ideas for how we can have more hope from this passage. And I think, I think the author presents them sort of in an intensifying, escalating order. And this uh, is the first principle. Reason for hope, number one, we are not without an example. What does that mean? Before we look at our passage again, I need to show you the very first, the the verse that comes just before it because because it sets the table for understanding the passage we're looking at. And this is how this verse goes. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. I want you to focus on two words. We'll focus on the word lazy first, also translated dull or slothful. Maybe you've had a good friendship with somebody over a long period of time. And for whatever reason, this person has let you down. And it's not uncommon, it's not unnatural for you to, to, and I've experienced this too, to sort of withdraw from that friend, lean away from that friend rather than lean into them. 
And so these Christians, these Jewish Christians, they, life has become hard. And they're becoming, in a sense, lazy toward God, bored with God. You find yourself at that, like that at times, yawning at God, pulling away from God, shrinking back from God, stepping back from God. And this, the, the, the author tells us that, that there's a remedy for this. And it's in the, found in the word to imitate. In the Greek, it's, it's, it's also, it, it looks like the word mimic. We are to mimic others. Mimic others who through faith and patience have pressed forward. Do you find yourself at times with a spiritual malaise? A spiritual apathy? Find somebody to imitate. Who would that be? For these early Jewish Christians, the answer was found in the person of Abraham. And that's where our passage begins. This is what we read just a few moments ago. For example, there was God's promise to Abraham. Since there was no one greater to swear by, God took an oath in his own name, saying, I will certainly bless you, and I will multiply your descendants beyond number. Then Abraham waited patiently, and he received what God had promised. Let me, let's just talk about Abraham for a minute. I, I don't know the last time you read your Old Testament, but in the book of Genesis, chapter 12, is where we're introduced to the person of Abraham. And we can't talk about his entire story because it goes on for chapters. But God finds Abraham, and out of God's grace, God promises Abraham a son. Abraham at this time is old as dirt. His wife is also, and she's barren. She's never had a child, but they want a child. And God promises them a son. And through that son, through the lineage of that son, one day will come someone who will bless all the nations. We'll get to him in just a little while. Abraham and his wife, they went through some terrible trials and temptations, but they held in there. Rather than becoming lazy, they stayed in there with God. They pressed forward. And with this confident expectation, Abraham was propelled forward, and he received that gift from God 25 years later. What were you doing 25 years ago? That's a hard time. That's a long time. Now, the author tells us to imitate Abraham. Well, I, I can read about Abraham in Scripture. In the book of Hebrews, when you get to chapter 11, you come to the hall of fame of faith, and there's many others, including Abraham, who have understood what it means to have faith in God because of our certain hope. But we don't have to go to Scripture also, only. We can, we can look around us as well and consider those who have walked with God, who have waited patiently on God. I wish we could sit in a circle and I could tell you some of the hardships that I've been through in my life. And I would love to hear some of the hardships you've been through in, through in your own life. And in my story, what I would tell you I would include the stories of people like Wayne. You have no idea who Wayne is. Or Newt. Or Dwayne. Or Carol. Or my wife. And a host of others who I watched. And during my time of difficulty, watching them move forward with hope in God, 
encouraged me. And maybe already somebody comes to your mind. Maybe it's a, a mom or a dad or an aunt or an uncle or a grandparent or a brother or a sister or a coworker or a, a neighbor or, or somebody who you've watched them and you've, you've watched life throw some really hard curveballs at them. And it's been hard. But rather than becoming lazy... They've been propelled forward because of their hope in God. Can you think of somebody like that? That's a way to have hope. Imitate somebody you know or somebody in Scripture. Now, this is important to say. It's not about that person. It's not about that person. It's about the one in whom that person put their hope. And that leads us to God and his impeccable, unchangeable character. And this is what we read, that we have a God who cannot lie. Let me read that to you again. Now, when people take an oath, they call on someone greater than themselves to hold them to it. And without any question, that oath is binding. God also bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. So God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Boy, wouldn't it be tough to hope in somebody if you knew they were capable of lying? No. Scripture calls us to trust in God who is incapable. It's impossible for him to lie. Scripture says that. Scripture also tells us that Satan, the ruler of this world now, the enemy of God, our enemy, is the father of lies. And we all understand that within us we have the, the, the tendency at times to lie. Maybe it's a big lie. Maybe it's misrepresenting the truth in a small way, a white lie. But a lie is a lie. And we've all been lied to, sometimes in big and profound ways or maybe in small ways, but we understand what a lie is. As a kid, did you do what I did? I found ways to make sure somebody knew I wouldn't lie, or I found ways to make sure I knew they would not lie. Cross my heart, hope to die. What do you do? Stick a needle in my eye. Nobody's ever done that, I don't think. Or pinky swear, or you spit in the palms and you shake. Or maybe it's a blood oath. I don't know. That's gross. <clears throat> or when two people stand here, and I've done a number of weddings in my years, and they say, I do. And now they're held accountable by all who are witnesses and God. Or when a person stands before a judge in a court of law and puts his left hand on the Bible and raises his right hand and says these words. I promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. So help me, God. Boy, interesting words. So help me, God. Why do we say those words? Because God is the only one who is rightfully and positionally able to hold everyone on earth accountable because it is impossible for him to lie. He is the ultimate promise keeper. Even in this, the story of Abraham, God makes his promise to Abraham, but he makes 
an oath to himself. Why does God make an oath to himself? Because there's nobody else able to swear him in. God will not lie to you, and he will fulfill all of his promises. Now, I want to pause here for a moment. I don't want to get too deep in the weeds. I want to ask you a few questions. Why? Why? So much about Abraham. Why? In what way does God's inability to lie, what does it have to do with us? What does God's promise to Abraham have to do with us? What does any of this have to do with Christmas and the idea of hope? I'll answer that question for you. The book of Hebrews, are you with me? The book of Hebrews is sometimes called the book of better things. Why is it called better things? Because God made a promise in the Old Testament to Abraham that he would one day have a son. But one day something better would come along. Or should I say someone better would come along. And that someone would then make a way back to God where everybody on earth could be blessed and be forgiven and be made right with God through faith just as Abraham was. Abraham didn't see it coming, but it happened. We look back to 2,000 years ago, and the one who came was the Christ, the Messiah. He was born on Christmas Day, and they named him Jesus, the Savior of the world, the hope of all the world. This passage is about Jesus, Jesus the Christ, who is our hope. And this passage says some particular words that I'm really drawn to. I mentioned it earlier. Jesus is the anchor for the soul, for your soul and for my soul. Uh, we, we've all been around an anchor. You've held an anchor. You've thrown an anchor overboard. You know what an anchor is, right? For a boater, a sailor, uh, an anchor means stability. It means security. It means safety. And that's what Christ means for the believer. Stability. Security. Safety. This is the way the passage goes. Therefore, we who have fled to him to Jesus for refuge, can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Jesus has already gone in there for us. He has become our eternal high priest in the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek, who? Do you know that name? Actually, the next chapter, Hebrews chapter 7, develops the whole idea of Melchizedek, who is found all the way back in the story of Abraham in Genesis chapter 14. I want to come back to the idea of an anchor, but I want to develop this name just for a moment because, well, it's there and it seems confusing. I want to help you understand why it's there, all right? And that way you can tell your friends, I know what Melchizedek means. Melchizedek was a high priest, and he's in Scripture, he is considered a mysterious figure and a foreshadowing of the person of Jesus Christ. He was a high priest, a, a prefiguring of, of the person Jesus Christ. After Abraham came along Moses, and under Moses was implemented the, the sacrificial system in which the high priest at that time 
would enter into the temple or enter into the tabernacle and go behind the curtain to the Holy of Holies. And he would take with him a sacrifice. And before God, he would offer that sacrifice for the sins of all the people. And the people by faith would be forgiven because of God's grace. And year after year after year, this high priest would do this sacrifice, all pointing toward the day when Jesus would be born. You can't have Christmas without the cross. And Jesus on the cross, as our great high priest, takes our sins upon us as our sacrifice, as our substitution. In a sense, he goes behind the heavenly curtain and makes atonement for our sins. And just as Abraham was, 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 was made right with God because of his faith, as we put our faith in Jesus, we are made right with God once and for all. And that is called the gospel, the good news. And that was the point of Christmas. And it's the fulfillment of the promise that God gave to Abraham and now in the person of Christ. For anyone who puts their faith in Jesus, we are made right with God and forgiven of our sins. We all have been around anchors, like I said earlier. They're not new. They've been around for a long time. I want to show you a picture on the screen. This is from a, a, an early church Roman catacomb. These images are also found. These images are also found on the on the on the uh, in the in the tombs of early Christians. You see the anchor. You see the anchor. How it also has the cross on it. They got it. They got it. An anchor represents stability and security and safety. And Jesus represents stability and security and safety. And if you are in Christ, you have stability. You have security. You have safety. And here's the thing. Our anchor doesn't go overboard and down. Our anchor, the anchor for our soul, goes up and is lodged in heaven and linked to the person of Jesus Christ who has died on the cross for us. So hear me when I say this. When I face the currents and tides of change that came into my life that I did not count on, and that maybe disappoint me, I have an anchor for my soul. My soul is, my, my hope is in Christ. When the cloud of death and the cloud of what lies beyond the grave and, 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 and how scary that can be comes upon me, I have an anchor for my soul. My hope is in Christ. When that nor'easter wind begins to blow and blow me off course and make me fearful of what's ahead and around the corner, I have an anchor for my soul. My hope is in Christ. When the storms of life come on me and rain down upon me, and I begin to wonder, has God forgotten me? Has God taken his eye off the ball? Does he really know I'm here? Does God really hear me? I have an anchor for my soul. My hope is in Christ. 
when the waves of problems and pain begin to wash over me. I have an anchor for my soul. My hope is in Christ. When I become hopeless, I look at those who have walked steadily with Christ. They are my example. I mimic them. And I remember that God does not lie and that I have an anchor for my soul and my hope is in Jesus Christ to whom we pray. Let's pray now. God, thank you for the hope that we have through Jesus Christ, our Savior and friend who sits at the right hand of God the Father interceding for us. We have hope because of the promise that you have given to us through Christ. And between this day and the day that Jesus returns, propel us forward, God, with an with a expectation that you will do exactly what you said because you do not lie. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.